Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and with me are double our pleasure. Jesse Sharkey, the president of the CTU, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Stacey Davis-Gage, his vice president, and who knows what your future may hold in the union leadership as well. All of our vice presidents. Okay. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about you guys and where you come from. Jesse, you grew up in rural Maine, son of an elementary school teacher, merit scholar to Brown University, which is pretty darn good. Organizer with the steel workers, returned to Brown for your master's, came to Chicago, taught at CVS, where you suffered a brain hemorrhage. That's right. And all of that, how did it all shape you? Uh, I am um, very much a person who, uh, you know, grew up on a dirt road in, in rural Maine and, uh, you know, have always been shaped by um, the belief that uh, education is extremely important, that people deserve fairness. Um, I was a person whose, um, you know, mom was a person of the 60s and so uh, was involved in social justice causes. Um, and I, I always thought I was going to be a school teacher. That's what you do when you're, you know, you're, you grow up reading and writing on a dirt road in rural Maine. Um, became very interested in the labor movement in college. Uh, decided I did not want to be a union bureaucrat. That was the last thing I was interested in. And then uh, when I wound up in Chicago, uh, you, you know, it was clear to me that our union was a potentially really powerful force. Uh, it was, you know, I had this incredibly proud history, but it seemed like at that moment we weren't expressing that power and we didn't really have any respect or dignity with what we were doing. And um, somehow I wound up back in with a group of people who, I should say somehow, I wound up uh, sort of actually being one of the organizers of a group of people who said, let's take back our union and and uh, elevate our voice in the city. Uh, and that's kind of how I, it, and so I wasn't originally trying to run for office. It just, it worked out that way. And here I am. And the health scare, how did that shape you? I mean, a 12 hour surgery, you survived, mm-hmm. my God. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say about that that you know they say they said that there was a fifty fifty chance that I would have been dead after after that, and you know they say things that don't kill you make you stronger, and that was very much the case. I mean, I can remember going um, back to school. I, it happened in uh, sort of the early spring, and and obviously I was I was paralyzed as a as a result of the surgery. I had to relearn how to crawl, how to walk. Um, there was enough uh, radiation based on all the treatments that, um, you know, I had 50 staples in the back of my head. Um, the hair didn't grow back there because of the radiation. I, I couldn't really walk right. I can remember walking back into school um, that fall kind of thinking, God, I look like kind of a, a, a Dr. Frankenstein. I guess it's, um, I look like the monster that Dr. Frankenstein created, right? And uh, people really accepted me open arms. Uh, I taught at CVS at the time, just a real outpouring of support and love. And uh, that made me, I think, uh, you know, think 
A, I can overcome this, and B, I really had a, a very visceral and emotional and direct response to the love that came out of the public schools, and that despite all their difficulties, that was the place that I was meant to be. Um, and so I kind of deepened my connection to this work. And Stacy, you are also a former classroom teacher, uh, educated at St. Mary's near Notre Dame, or did you actually go to Notre Dame? Uh, I attended both, but okay. um, my bachelor's degree is from the uh, St. Mary's College, and we like to say at St. Mary's College because it's an all-female um, institution that Notre Dame is across the street from us. <laughs> I don't think they see it that way. Well, that's their fault. <laughs> <laughs> and where did you teach? What school uh, were you My at? first uh, year here in the city, I was at Inglewood. And um, I remember that spring um, listening to Arnie Duncan, who was um, the CEO at the time, tell us that we had failed our school community. Um, and that, you know, is how this whole concept of social justice and equity through unionism was birthed in my spirit, to be perfectly honest with you, because I had spent a school year um, grappling with all of what wasn't in our school community and all of what our students needed in our school community. And then at the tail end of that year, not to hear how are we going to make this better for the upcoming school year, but to hear that um, I had failed, that my colleagues had failed. Because you were labeled a failing school. Well, failing school to be slated for closure. Called so um, the culture of failure, I think that's oh. what he called it, right? He called okay. us a culture of failure and to our faces and then um, proceeded to close our school community and displace um, students um, from the Inglewood community all over the South Side, effectively. And um, I will say to you, it was at that point of where you could not help but to connect race, racism, um, class, classism um, to the fight for, uh, for to the fight for public education in the city of Chicago. OK, so Rahm Emanuel, first thing he did canceled your 4% pay raise mm -hmm. previously negotiated. He called it a, eventually the biggest mistake he ever made. Mm -hmm. It was sheer arrogance and it provoked, it set a, a trail in motion that started, had you on strike in 2012 and the public s sympathized with you. you. You were on, you were on their side. They were on yours. Right. Who's the boogeyman this time? You don't have Rauner. You don't have Rom and you don't have Forrest Claypool. Who's the boogeyman here? Well, we're not going to be able to, um, you know, keep replaying the past episodes of history as if they're going to be the, the next episode of history. That's not the way these things work. Um, it's different. Uh, we have a, a mayor as a candidate who ran on a, a, a set of policies that look like educational equity, you know, talking about basic educational supports, talking about dealing with racism and, and, and the systematic um, um, maldistribution of resources in our schools. Um, candidate Lightfoot is the person who we'd like to see show up at the negotiating table because we believe we'd get a fair contract settlement. What I said, I, I gave a speech in front of the city club, but really like right before, well, no, I'm sorry, right after the election. And I said, be, be, and she hadn't taken office yet. And I said, be careful though, because the mayor is tied by a thousand strings to a whole series of powerful interests, which want to keep taxes low, um, which, you know, which count out of business groups, which put $1.6 billion in, in Lincoln Yards and the 78 TIF developments, uh, which, uh, care a lot more about our bond ratings than about the safety in our neighborhoods 
etc. And and so like how does mayor Lightfoot respond to that? That's the question that we're putting forward. Not a boogeyman, but but like a gut check for her, frankly. Do you see her as talking out of both sides of her mouth? Well, there are a series of choices that Mayor Lightfoot has um, now that she occupies the fifth floor. And what we are finding, um, if we look at the the what the immigration um groups are asking for in terms of protecting immigrant rights. They're asking for her to enshrine um, what she has said on the campaign trail, what she puts in press releases into an executive order. And those things aren't there. We're asking for the same thing effectively. We are asking for her to enshrine smaller class sizes, a nurse in every school in a contract proposal. And we've yet to see that. Well, and, and, some of the city's negotiating team says that your proposals could have a price tag in the vicinity of two and a half to three billion dollars with all the hundreds of things that you've asked for. Well, I, I mean, I would say this, that like our own calculation, we've asked for a three-year contract and we think it's a billion dollars a year. So I, I don't, okay, dis- so the, I, so so I don't disagree that it's a three billion dollar ask. Okay. What actually, according to the state of Illinois, what equity would look like would be two billion dollars a year. Our calculations show that the, the state legislature put an extra billion dollars a year into the school district. And so we're saying there's actually there's an extra billion dollars a year that wasn't there in, in 2016 uh, in the schools right now. That's revenue that's come in for the purposes of trying to get services to the classroom. Uh, our proposals, the, the billion dollars a year demand, A, we think there's funding. Uh, and we just put out an 89-page report, which, which details that. Um, but B, it's what's required to actually take the rhetoric and put it into reality. It's got to show up in the form of a school nurse in your school every day, not just on Tuesdays or, you know, that's a typical what a school nurse typically does. We have 125 librarians in the entire city of Chicago right now. Every school should have a librarian uh, with, you know, a library with a librarian in it, you know, et cetera. And I could go through, but there are, there are severe shortages. We are running a bare bones school district that's been bled dry by austerity over the last, over the fiscal crisis, you know, over the last four or five years. And we have to turn that around. But what taxes should she, will she have to raise to well, finance this going forward? We're not speaking about what has already been done to finance this particular contract. And what I want to draw folks' attention to is that this contract is enshrining what we need in our school communities. So our proposals, our contract demands encompass what is what is needed to run a school community effectively. So it's not a contract in the like rudimentary uh, manner of just wages and benefits. It is a contract to ensure smaller class sizes, wraparound services, which is the same thing that the state of Illinois has already gifted to the city of Chicago. So in 2017, under the worst governor that this state has ever seen, the General Assembly was able to pass a law that says we're going to prioritize school districts that deal in concentrated poverty. That's Chicago Public Schools. We are going to fund wraparound services. We are going to fund special education. We are going to fund school nurses. We are going to fund bilingual education. 
All of those things are already paid for. What we are asking is for a contract to be signed with the Board of Education and with the teachers, the clinicians and the PSRPs who do the work to make sure that those funds reach our school communities. There is no other way in the city of Chicago when that person who runs our schools is a political animal and occupies the fifth floor. There is no way to hold that person accountable other than our collective bargaining agreement. So what we're asking for is to put the money that the General Assembly has already appropriated in the school funding formula that looks a lot like our contract proposals, by the way, to make sure that our students have that. Look, we have a new governor in the state of Illinois who hit the ground running before the first 30 days of the session was over. $15 minimum wage was already signed. Then you segue into the legalization of marijuana and the decriminalization of marijuana. Then you segue into passing a fair tax. This is a man that ran in a contested um, Democratic primary with lots of folks there saying a lot of different things. Then he segued with those who weren't even in his coalition when he ran for office the first time as in, in the primary. And those people became a part of his coalition to pass those very monumental progressive policies for the state of Illinois. What we're saying is that there's a blueprint of how to transform campaign rhetoric into sound law. And we are willing to do that. What we're saying is that the vehicle for that in Chicago is the collective bargaining agreement. And thus far, uh, Mayor Lightfoot's team, which is basically Rahm Emanuel's team at the negotiating table, has refused to do so. So you're saying that she has reneged on these promises? I mean, what happened to her between the time she was a candidate and the time she came in? Maybe it's the reality of the finances. The city is facing a gigantic deficit and has pressures with your contract with the police and the fire that are coming up? Well, I mean, let's unravel that because, you know, when the city was, rel was, was relatively healthy and the schools were in financial trouble, what they told us is that, that we can't afford to, um, uh, make, uh, make good on fair, on promises about the schools because the schools are a tub on their own bottom. That's what they said. And, and, and you can go back and you can look at it. Um, that is the schools had a, a the near death experience in 15 and 16, um, you know, borrowed, uh, $750 million at eight and a half percent interest. And, and they're still uh, highly leveraged. Right. But, but they didn't, you know, use the city's bond ratings or, or financial capacity to bail out the schools. And the schools are, were, were, were left to their own devices to deal with that. Uh, now the situation is reversed. Now the schools are, are uh, relatively better off financially. Like they said, and an extra billion dollars a year. Right. right. And so, so now you can't turn around and say, well, we're going to use the schools to bail out the city. It doesn't, doesn't actually make any no. sense. But are you saying that your demands, as big as they are and as many as you have, Will not ca cause her to have to raise taxes. Look, the or that you're are you suggesting the, what taxes she should raise? The elite in this city find a way to develop blighted Lincoln Park. Let's be very clear. What we're saying is that our mayor has a choice, like mayors before her have had a choice. Her choice is to pivot from politics of the past, where the wealthy and well connected are able to subsist off the public dime, or shift into a space where public education 
the black students, the brown students, the low income students who need the public school system to work for them actually receive the resources to lower their class sizes and to enrich the school communities in a way that promotes school achievement for them. So you want them, she wanted her to tax who? No, no, it's a choice is what I'm saying. What should she do about taxation? Well, it's not about taxation, Fran. Let's be very clear. It wasn't about taxation when Lincoln Yards was passed. It was about making sure that TIF money could be funneled to Lincoln Yards to develop a very tony part of our city. What we're saying is that she made the wrong choice. And to reverse that choice, if the mayor can talk about breaking a contract with pensioners and public employees, she can also talk about breaking a contract with Lincoln Yards. She can also talk about making sure that No Cop Academy is put on the back burner while she resources our school communities. If she's serious about breaking the school to prison pipeline as she campaigned on, then put that on the back burner and make sure that we have more school social workers and school counselors in our school communities. This has always been about choice, priority, and political will. The candidate that people in this city voted for said that she agreed with them, that our schools were a priority and we had to resource them. The mayor is saying something completely different and it sounds like the politics of the past. Do you want her to cancel? I mean, the Lincoln Yards deal, she allowed it to go through. It had the votes. She let it go through. She got a few minor concessions before it did. Um, I mean, what, what are you saying? And the Cop Academy, she's saying it's going to be even bigger and better. It's got to be made better. What yeah. do you want her to do yeah, about that, these I, things? I, I think that uh, she, if that becomes necessary, she should cancel them. But let me add one more thing to what Stacey said. Our analysis is that the state of Illinois sent an extra billion dollars a year to the Chicago Public Schools. We want to see that money make its way to the classroom. And you I, think she can give you what you want without raising taxes? I think she can go a long way towards it. And right, right now, we haven't seen anything along those lines. Um, uh, we've What we've seen is a really worrying evasion, stall, sort of stall tactics, and a lack of forthrightness at the bargaining table. And yesterday, we heard some things that are even more worrying, which is that um, Jim Franzik, who's the chief negotiator there, who, by the way, was also the chief negotiator for Daly and was also the chief negotiator for ROM, said that they actually don't intend to deal with our, our most important demands, staffing demands, um, uh, you know, the demands for wraparound services, for social workers, for clinicians, for counsel, et cetera. They don't tend to deal with those things through the bargaining process. And then Lori Lightfoot um, was quoted to me by Sarah Cart from WBEZ as saying that she intends to address staffing, but, but not through the contract process. And what's and, wrong with that? I mean, why should staffing be something where you file a well, grievance what's wrong, when there's what's not wrong, a social worker? Well, what's wrong with it is because social workers who work in the Chicago public schools are part of the CTU and, and they're covered under our contract. Uh, school counselors, same thing. School nurses are, are part of the CTU's bargaining unit and, and, and the terms and conditions of school nurses are covered under the CTU's contract. Same thing with PSRPs in our building. Same thing with early childhood workers. So when we're talking about wanting to have more, more social workers or nurses or early childhood workers or do more special ed services, those are things that necessarily are, are, are part of the contract bargaining process. And the contract is where you put it in writing. It's where you commit to it in a way that's legally enforceable. We've heard decades of broken promises about what they're going to do for the schools. We've seen, and so what we're worried about is that she's saying, I'm going to do it. Either she doesn't do it, 
or B, that she tries to do it through privatizing out or selling off the services to other operators the way they did to the janitorial services. There's a big history of this in the city. And, you know, having Aramark, paying Aramark hundreds of millions of dollars to keep our schools clean has been a disaster. They've gotten profits and our schools have been dirty. And so we don't want to repeat that. What would you say is the the chance right now that your members are going to walk out on strike? Well, they have they have zero to respond to in terms of a quality uh, counter offer from the Board of Education. Um, the mayor's team has failed in their duty to actually put together an offer that encompasses the totality of our members experience in their school communities. Um, there's nothing about class size. There's zero about school counselors, school nurses. There is zero about anything that is important to the operation of public schools in the city. So what I'm saying is that she hasn't given them much of a choice. So you're saying that the chances are what? I'm saying the chances doubled yesterday when they started talking about, you know, not only have we not given you the... um, But we're not going to. But we're not going to. And we intend to sort of deal with this uh, in a different venue. That's fighting words as far as we're concerned. And our members will see that the same way. So a strike would have to be approved by 75%. What what do you think you'll get? We've been on strike five times since 2012. Look, that's a muscle that's strong with our membership. Well, not not at the Chicago public schools. Well, with the Chicago teachers. I understand. So I want to be clear that we're one union. And with that one union, we've been on strike five times since 2012. And so what I would say is that there is a strong muscle from that. Look, we're very clear about the type of unionism and the type of justice that we want to see, the type of unionism that we express as the Chicago Teachers Union and the type of justice that we want to see in every school community in the city. So what's your prediction on what the vote would be? Well, it's too early to tell because we have to. Well, um, it sounds like a 90 percent. I mean, well, you look like you're ready to walk out right now. With your we, we, wear, we wear red on Friday. We're on doors right now. No, yeah. I understand. Yeah. But what, what is your prediction about what the vote would be? Well, if it doesn't change right now, you know, it's I would I would hope it's going to be 100 percent. 100 percent. Because, look, I, what I'm saying is that we spent over a year going to our members, talking about what people need to see in the schools in order to feel respected in order to feel like when we go into work, we have a school system that supports the the uh, passion that we have for educating children. And the demands that we came to the table with were based on really diligent, painstaking work, talking to literally That's hundreds, right. if not thousands of rank and file members about what they need to see in the schools. And so when we say we need social workers, I'm not, it's not a talking point. That's something which came and from our membership. And it's not about bolstering your members? It, it's about the fact that we deal with students who with trauma, you know, whose uncle is is uh, shot and killed or who, you know, whose fellow student uh, commits suicide or who like, you know, there's there's a shooting on a school grounds. We're, we're dealing with like we're talking about members who deal with incredibly difficult stuff, who have post-traumatic stress, frankly, um, uh, you know, going into difficult schools. And we don't have the tools that we need for dealing with that. Um, you know, we're talking about special education services where, you know, I visited a school uh, a few months ago, a caseload of 68 with two special education teachers. I mean, you can't even 
conceive of, of, of how crazy that is if you know what the work that's involved, the number of meetings, the number of, um, uh, the, the, the number of IEP minutes and services that has to go to those students. Just like the, the conceiving of that, it blows my mind. And so, you know, so our special educators said these are the things that we need. It, you know, the state of Illinois says it. We're under right. a monitor. The federal law says it. Right. right? It, the, the Board of Education right now wants to remove the language from our contract that, that says that we can file grievances if they're violating federal law. Okay. That's what's in the now, you, you got a school system that's hemorrhaging students, though. Are you asking them not to close schools and to have them uh, declare that they will not? We're, We're also invest, asking. Invest in schools. Where, well, but are you asking, what are you saying in your contract, in your proposal? Mm-hmm. We're about saying stabilize housing in the city of Chicago. We're saying rent control. We're saying that. Now, uh, where, where does that come in with your, well, I mean, telling them that they'd have to spend money on affordable housing and rent control and all that. That's not in your. The mayor campaigned on a vision of transforming the city of Chicago and every component of the city of Chicago. So if we don't transform the way in which it's affordable for working people and the students that we serve in the Chicago public schools to be safe, to have affordability, then we're not sustaining the Chicago public schools. This ecosystem here in Chicago that depends on the public sector is very fragile. And what she said to voters is that I am not only going to um, supply it with resources, I'm going to fortify it and I'm going to defend it. And, and you've proposed affordable housing. You have affordable housing proposals, hundreds of millions of dollars of things that you wanted them to spend but, on. Right? Look, we, we have also we proposals from wealthy developers that want to locate a housing development near Chinatown that want to uh, locate a wealthy housing development next to Soldier Field. No one says that those things are um, unimaginable or undoable. What they say is, let's figure it out. We're saying that with the collective bargaining agreement, working people in Chicago, families that send their students to the Chicago public schools want that same compact. The school closing issue, though, are you saying to them, no more school closings. Yes. Is that is that a promise you're yes. asking? Yes, and it is. how can they promise that when they have 150,000 empty seats well, and schools that have 20 kids or 100 less than 100? Our kids? contract is a chance for us to make demands of people in power. It's a it's a, it's a chance for us to put out a vision about what our schools should be. And the vision is invest in our schools, don't go closing them. The vision is make sure that the, the, the resources that students need to develop their future are, are available. You started out by asking us, or by asking me, where our demands come from without lead to a strike. Our demands come from the people who are on the front lines who actually do the work. If we're going to be ignored, if we're going to be told that none of the things that in our contract demands are feasible or doable, or that we're even going to talk about them in, you know, in the language of trading proposals, then yeah, that's going to lead to a strike. I'm confident that our members will come to that conclusion. And school closings, how can they promise not to when there are so many empty seats? Well, what do you propose to well, do about the empty what, seats? What I would propose to do is to reinvest in our school communities. That's what I propose. And in fact, I think that all the promises that they made during the last round of school closings turned out to be lies. They said that by closing these schools, we're going to consolidate and we're going to we're going to make stronger the schools that remain. We're going to allow more resources into those schools. We're going to we're going to bolster their enrollments. We're going to make those schools stronger. That's not what happened. What happened is they they took out the anchors of, of communities 
So those communities actually became weaker, and that became a cycle that weakened those neighborhoods, fueled the exodus, and the remaining schools are actually seeing their enrollments decline even further and faster. The, The way that we handle school closings was a disaster. In this city. And so our, our demand is figure it out and until then stop. You, you know, you got to stop closing schools. But you want a three year contract that's mm-hmm. going to expire right before the next election. She's never going to allow that. Listen, we're in the midst of a 2020 Democratic primary process. Every single candidate that is running on that side has said that everything that the Chicago Teachers Union, our members, our community partners, parents are asking for makes sense to them. They speak very explicitly about the need for wraparound services. They speak very explicitly to the fact that our schools need more resources and that teachers need to be paid their worth. You've had strikes all across this country saying the very same thing. We are saying that the rhetoric that uh, Mayor Lightfoot's team brings to the negotiating table is outdated, that that line is losing with the American public and that they have to come correct and provide Chicago students with all of they deserve. Well, we're out of time. I hope that we avoid a strike, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, both of us have um, uh, children in the public schools, both of mine and all three of mine. Yeah. And so have you been saving and making plans for that? No, what I've been saying is that my my children, they deserve a nurse in their schools. I've been saying that my children and their classmates deserve a social worker in their schools and that we're going to fight for that. Yeah, and we, earliest, and we hope to avoid it, but we're going to do what's right for the schools. And the earliest that could be by fact-finding is September 26th? 26th. Well, let's hope that you're in school then. Thank you both Thank for you. joining us. Thank you. And we'll see you all next week. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 